It took quite some time, but the following is a compilation of the Holy Handicappers Lifeline segments where we shared a week at a time God's plan on knowing if you are a Christian and how to know if you will be going to heaven when you die. If you are not sure what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and know for certain that you will be spending an eternity with him, please listen prayerfully. I would be glad to answer any questions you may have, get you a Bible to read, and get you started with some materials to learn how to mature in your relationship with Jesus at no cost to you. This isn't about me and Faith Family Fantasy Football. It's about you and your eternity. This will be one of the most important recordings we have done so far. I would love for you to have it, it, this issue settled before you invest large amounts of time in fantasy football. I love fantasy football, but always want to be doing what the Lord has put me on this earth for, sharing his good news with as many people as I can while I go through this life in every way, in any way I can. This may not flow well because of how it is put together, but stick with it. The Lord Jesus will bless the sharing of his holy word. It comes out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The word of God says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The first two things that pop out on me on that is, for by grace are you saved through faith, grace and faith. Um, I, I'm, I am not going to, uh, I am not going to uh, talk about that right now because we're going to talk about that much more uh, in in our future broadcast as we're sharing God's plan a verse at a time uh, each week. So, uh, but what I want to focus on this week is um, the second part of that verse eight, and then the um, and then the uh, all of verse 9. Part B of that first says that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. So not of yourself. So that is a, that is a gift and it's a gift from God, not of works. So if you ask the average person, are you a Christian? A majority of them would say yes. But if you ask that a little differently and say, if, uh, do you have do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? There would be a much lower number of people that would say that. Then, if you go a little bit further and even say, even take that, make that a little bit more detailed, and you say, uh, if you ask them, "Are you born again?" You would get an even lower number than number two, which was way lower than number one. Uh, question number one. So, uh, why? Well, each question progressed in the way that we're asked in more detail and more personal. The more personal you get and the more detailed you get, uh, the more of an honest answer you get. But we'll be focusing on the first question, which again was, uh, if you ask the average person if they're uh, a Christian, the majority of them would say yes. And I'm not going to put these in any particular order, but here's some of the reasons I believe why and some of the answers that I get. First, I get, well, I go to church. Well, okay, you go to church. That's, that's fantastic. But, um, does, does that make you a Christian just because you go to church? If you go stand in or go sit in a car lot, does that make you a car? 
No, it doesn't make you a car. So it, it, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, the second one I get a lot is, well, I don't go to church uh, because there are so many hypocrites, but I do a pretty good job at following the Ten Commandments. And I can worship God anywhere. I can worship him in nature. I can worship him on the golf course. Um, so that's one of the other common answers I get. Well, again, part of that's true, just like going to church is a good thing, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Well, God is everywhere, and you can worship God everywhere. But God does want us to assemble together as a people to encourage one another and to use our gifts to edify and build up the body. And, you know, the Ten Commandments, if you'd ask those folks, well, what are the Ten Commandments? They probably could not tell you more than three, maybe. Um, so, again, you know, that's something that, that you know, people try to do. Uh, a third a third thing is, is that a lot of the answers I get is, well, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And, you know, well, I, I, I don't know. I guess we kind of look at ourselves at more in rose-colored glasses than other folks would. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of good people that may be able to say the good things that they try to do or maybe a little publicly or maybe a little better than the bad things they do publicly. But that doesn't include their private lives and, and how they speak to their wives or, or their children or uh, their teacher. Not even going into what they watch, what they watch on TV or what we watch on TV, what we do, what we, what we think about in those private moments. But there is one thing that all of these answers have in common. And that, uh, common thing is it's, uh, is it's something that, that you do. You know, I'm trying to be good. I'm keeping attention. I'm going to church. I, uh, I'm trying to be good. Um, uh, you know, my, I'm trying to make my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. It's all things that we're trying to do. If we could work hard enough or try hard enough to get into heaven, um, would Jesus Christ have died on the cross, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins? No, uh, God the Father would not have sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. There's a way we could have done that. So, you know, there's a major problem with all of these answers. They are boasts, uh, of, of, of what we of what you do and how you do good and how you do that. Um, what what does the next part of the verse say though? It's really interesting because the next part of that verse says, "Lest any man should boast." So wow, all of those answers are totally blown away by that next verse because there is no boast in good. Uh, there's no boast in what we do. Um, the the uh, really. Our salvation is based on that grace we talked about earlier through faith. Of Romans, the third chapter, verses 9 through 12 out of the Holy Bible. That verse reads, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we already charge uh, that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. We're going to stop there. That's Romans 3 verses 9 through 12. For time's sake, we're going to focus on one verse like we did last week. And the verse we're going to focus on is verse 12. 
all have turned aside together. There, uh, they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And you know the the verse in actually it's almost a repeat of the of verse nine. Verse nine says there is none righteous, not even one. Basically the same thing: righteousness, goodness. You know, last week we had talked about for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we talked about works. We talked about those uh three questions that um that we would that we could and the answers that we would receive back. The question was if you ask the average person, are you a Christian? The majority we found out would say yes. And then we asked about why, and I came up with three reasons that I got the the answer to that question by asked why. First one is that I go to church. Second one is, well, I don't go to church but uh, because there are so many hypocrites, but I do a pretty good job at following the Ten Commandments, and I can worship God anywhere. And the third uh, the third excuse I get is, uh, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. We talked about how all those excuses were works and something we could do, but uh, it's by grace we're saved through faith. But I wanted to put uh, an, another expl- exclamation on uh, how works cannot save us. Uh, we, If works could save us, why in this scripture verse then does God's word say, all have turned aside, together we have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. Well, if we could just go to church, or if we could just keep the Ten Commandments as good as we could, or if our good outweighed my bad, then why does this verse say, there is none that does good, not even one? Could it be that we just don't understand God's word and what God expects of us? I'm sure you're wondering why did God give us the Ten Commandments? And what does God expect of us? And why did, why do we have churches if it's, if, it, if it's not such a big deal? Not one. And that brings us to our lifeline today. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are, we're going to introduce a, a new concept today that we have not talked about. Uh, it's, it's a, pretty unpopular concept for our day we talked about the first couple weeks we talked about good bad right wrong righteous unrighteous we feel fairly comfortable with that you know we can kind of kind of pick and choose where we think we fall in or you know where we may fall into that you know category there but uh, now we're going to get a little uncomfortable because we're going to get a lot more specific well, bad, wrong, and unrighteousness all fall under the umbrella of sin. But before we get into that, let's drive home a little bit deeper, a little further, uh, the concept of, of all. All have sinned. You know, we had talked uh, earlier about um, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who do good, no, not one. Uh, here we see all have sinned. You know, in that verse that I forgot to mention last week, that the first verse we looked at in Romans chapter 3, verse 9 said, uh, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have uh, already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. The Jews in those days broke down the culture 
as Jews and Greeks or followers of Abraham and not followers of Abraham. In, all, in our culture today, uh, the Christian church looks at things as Christians and non-Christians or followers of Jesus Christ or non-followers of Jesus Christ. I gave all that background just to say this. All the Pope, priests, rabbis, pastors, Christians, non-Christians, dad, mom, grandpa, grandma, and yes, you and me have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, uh, if you're anything like me, <clears throat> your next question is then, well, what is sin? Well, I found a good definition. The definition I found is the truth is that sin is defined in the original translations of the Bible means to miss the mark. The mark in this case is the standard of perfection established by God and evidenced by Jesus. Viewed in that light, it is clear that we are all sinners. The realization of sin was introduced through Adam, but the remedy of sin was realized in Jesus Christ, who is referred to, oddly enough, in the New Testament as the second Adam. Well, again, you may ask me, why is recognizing sin so important? I can answer that question by asking you another question. If you are sick, why is it important to get a diagnosis from a doctor? And after the diagnosis, if it is serious, what the prognosis is and what can be done to treat it? Well, the, the answer to that is kind of obvious. Uh, so you know how to treat uh, what you have and, and what you can do to make you well. Well, since we have established that we all have sin in our lives and have been diagnosed with the disease of sin, we next need to know what the prognosis is and how to get cured. And you may say, again, cured of what? And really it comes into that last part of that verse. Uh, we've fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has caused us to fall short of God's glory. I'll lay a new word on you this week that I just learned. Fallen or come short of the approbation of God. Or in simpler terms, fallen or come short of the praise, approval, or acceptance of God. We may all have in our own mind what is praiseworthy, acceptable, and approved by God. But who are we to make that judgment? The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the 14th chapter, verse 12, there is a way that seems right unto man, but, and next week we will see what the but is in the rest of the verse of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and what the prognosis of our sin disease is. According to God's word, the Holy Bible, chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This week, uh, we will discover the prognosis of trying to doctor ourselves with our sin sickness that the Bible has diagnosed us with. So our prognosis for our sin and going our own way and acting like we are the God of our lives is death. Not uh, the kind of prognosis you want to hear. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages or what we earn for our sin is death. But we will talk in our next lifeline about what our wonderful Savior and God did for us. If you are a kid, a young person, or someone near the end of your life, 
here on here on earth there is no need to worry because God has a cure for us good news which is another name for the gospel of Jesus our lifeline for this week will be from the book of Romans the 6th chapter the 23rd verse last podcast we discovered our prognosis for our sin and going our own way and acting like we are gods of our own lives is death not the kind of prognosis that you ever want to hear we read last uh, we read the first part of this week's lifeline last week Romans 6:23a the wages of sin is death but we left off there i really hated to leave like that my wife was concerned i stopped there today we get to talk about the cure yes there is a cure the rest of the verse reads But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to to let my Baptocostal out here for uh, for a few moments. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Sorry for that. I had to get it out. Um, Reminds me of a story of of a pastor at a um, very uh, white-collar liturgical traditional church had a visitor come in and got very excited and was very loud all through the uh, uh, sermon expressing themselves. And one of the one of the members of the church come up after church and said, that, that person's crazy. We need to do something about this. Um, need to talk to that person before they come back again. And the pastor answered and said to them, mm, no, uh, that person is not crazy. They just love Jesus and appreciate him a little more than the rest of us. I think maybe our congregation is who I need to speak with. I'm sorry, it just doesn't get much better than that for lost and dying people trapped in the wages of sin, which according to the scripture verses we looked at uh, over the last few weeks is all of us without exception. Romans 6.23, the whole verse reads, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When does a gift become yours? Is it when someone thinks of you? Is it when someone makes an investment and buys it for you? Is it when they wrap it with care, thinking of you? Is it when they tell you they have a gift for you? Is it when they present it to you? Well, to tell the truth, all of these are elements that go into uh, gifts, but it's not yours until you receive it and take possession of it and make it your own. God's gift is not is no different. It is a gift that is free for us, but cost Him everything. And next week we will talk about what our free gift cost God before we talk about how to receive it. Last podcast, we discussed the cure for our prognosis of death because of our sin sickness. Yes, there is a cure. It is the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We looked at Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We talked about going. Uh, we, we talked about what goes into receiving a gift. I think we all can relate. We all have given gifts and have received gifts. I want to go a little deeper today about what our God went through to give us this free gift. It is a free gift for us, but cost Him ab- ab- absolutely everything. Let's talk about what goes into giving a gift just like we did about receiving a gift last week. There is usually an occasion to give a gift, or if not, there is a heartfelt reason, or both. There is is focused thought behind it. There is a cost or expense, even if it's not store-bought. 
There is a sacrifice of time and resources. Uh, that is exactly what our God did for us. The reason Jesus went to Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion was to celebrate the Passover, which is a memorial or commemoration of the day the death angel, or actually the night the death angel passed over the Jewish people's houses that had the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the lentils in the doorpost. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you ever thought of this, if you'd connect those dots on the lentils and doorposts, it would form the shape of a cross. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus came to him to be baptized? In the book of John, first chapter, verse 29, John said, as Jesus was approaching him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus became the Passover lamb for us. Why? It was his love and his his longing to redeem us. God's heartfelt love was expressed best by the Apostle John in the book of John, uh, third chapter, 16th verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our free gift that God offered for our sins cost him everything. His son, his glory, his fellowship with God, with the Godhead, which more commonly known as the Trinity. Uh, his, his thought behind the gift was us, you and me. It was only the, it was the only way he could cure our sin sickness. He became our sacrifice, payment, and substitute. Jesus is our only cure for our sin sickness. That brings us to our lifeline for today. It comes out of the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse. God proves his own love for us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. As we discussed in previous lifelines, we did nothing to earn, merit, deserve this love. It was his free gift to us because he loves us. And wants us to be in relationship with him now and spend eternity in a place he prepared for us. The next lifeline, we will discuss how to receive this gift. I don't know about you, but I love to receive gifts. In this lifeline, we will dig a little deeper into the five elements we discussed a couple of podcasts ago, ago about what it takes to give a gift. I just personalized them to reflect how God demonstrated these elements in giving us his gift. When God's gift, when does God's gift become yours? Is it when he thinks of you? Well, in the book of John, the third chapter, verse 16, a, the first part, the word of God says, God so loved the world. Well, that's you and me. Also, in Romans 5, 8, as we just read, God proved his own love towards us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, that element is there. God does think of us, and he had thought of us about this gift. He loves us deeply and knows us very well and knows exactly what we need. Does God's gift become yours when he tells you he has a gift for you? In that second part of the first Part of John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave us. Again, that's you and me. And he gave us what? Something trivial? Something thoughtless? No, we, we, we know it's not thoughtless. We already said we, he, he thought of us. No, he gave us his best and our most needed gift. His only begotten son, the perfect sacrifice and substitute for our sin sickness. 
Does God's gift become yours when he wrapped it with care, thinking of you? In the book of Luke, the second chapter, verses 10 through 12, the word of God says, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Yes, God did wrap his gift with care, thinking of you. Does God's gift become yours when he tells you uh, he has a gift for you? To, to wrap, to finish off the John 3rd chapter, the 16th verse, For God so loved the world, he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever, this is what I want you to, th- to listen to, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So God says here that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He is, um, he is telling you all you have to do is believe. So because you believe, uh, and he says he has a gift for you and he tells you to believe, does that mean that gift is yours and you can just go on about your business as usual? Does that gift that God offer become yours when he presents it to you? In First Peter, the third chapter, the 18th verse, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So because God went that extra step for you uh, and went past saying he has a gift for you, but he presents it to you, does that make that gift yours at that point? A lot of people know that and stop right there. But that's just knowing what God did for you. That's not receiving or accepting what God did for you. A gift is not yours until you accept it, receive it, take possession of it, and make it part of your life. So our gift is not salvation from our sin of our sickness of sin, not eternal life, but Jesus Christ himself, who all these things we need come through, and he applies them on our behalf. In our next life, well, in the previous lifeline, we dug deeper into the five common elements God demonstrated in giving us his gift. One, he thought of you. Two, he told you he has a gift for you. Three, he made an investment and purchased it for you. Four, he wrapped it with care, thinking of you. Five, he presented it to you, because not because you deserved it, but because he loves you. These elements he followed were common in principle, but not in practice. We usually follow the same elements when giving a gift, but his gift is divine, and only God the Father could give. Today, we are going to talk about the only way to receive this gift. Our last element and verse was talked about last week was, it is when he presents it to you. We talked about 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. So our gift is not salvation from our sin sickness, but uh, and not eternal life, but Jesus Christ, who the things that we need come through, and he applies them to us on our behalf. So how do we accept this gift of Jesus Christ? 
It is easy as your ABCs. Yes, I said, as easy as your ABCs. Starting with A, A stands for admit. Admit you are a sinner and cannot save yourself and agree with God about your sin. We talked about how the Bible tells us all have sinned, that there is no one righteous in in, uh, in and of himself, not even one person. What do we do? Well, admit we are sinners. First John 1 John 1.9 in the Bible says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness and sins. Next we have uh, B. B stands for believe. Be willing to turn from... Uh, B stands for believe and being willing to turn from your sins. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 11 and 12 says, He, Jesus, came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And then in the book of John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus speaking, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we see in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believing is important, but not everything. James 2, uh, the book of James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe there is one God, you do well. But the demons also believe and shudder. You must believe uh, to the point of being willing to turn from your sins. Acts uh, chapter 3, the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent means to change your mind or change your direction. It can only be done through faith, not of works, as we already talked about earlier. So we looked at A, we looked at B, now C. C stands for confess. You must confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior of your life. Romans, the book of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and then chapter 13 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, not the mind, with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he, confess, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Then skipping down to verse 13. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's plan is so simple that it's complicated to the natural mind without the Spirit of God enabling it. We want to do something to earn God's gift, but the only thing we can do is to accept it by faith, trusting in God's plan uh, through his word and finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Well, that's the ABCs of receiving a gift. It is Receiving that gift is as simple as the ABCs. Admit, uh, admit that you're a sinner, believe, and be willing to turn from your sins. And 
see, confess. So if you want to receive that gift, I can help you by a uh, by leading you in a in a sample prayer. You can say this prayer with me or you can say a prayer on your own and just use this kind of as a guideline. But here's a sample prayer. God, I agree with your word and admit that I am a sinner and need to be cured from my sin sickness. I know I can't do it on my own by trying harder, doing good works, or earning it by my goodness. I believe that Jesus came as my gift to deliver me from my sin sickness. Please forgive my sin and help me to turn from them. I accept Jesus Christ as my gift, substitute, and cure for my sins. I now confess Jesus as my Lord and receive him as my Savior. Take I give you my life. I ask you to take control of my life and make it full and meaningful for you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, or if you prayed a prayer like that on your own, I would love to know about it. I'd love you to contact me. Uh, on any of my social media sites or on Facebook or, uh, or emailing me. Um, I'd, I'd love to know that because I'd like to, to give you some, uh, some resources to, to grow more, uh, because it's just, uh, this isn't an insurance policy. This is just a start of a new life, not just an insurance policy and you just do your own thing. This is a start of a new way of life. So, uh, please contact me if, if, uh, that happened in your life. And you receive God's gift for you. This was not a comprehensive presentation of the gospel by no means. It does not flow perfectly as it is several individual segments just spliced together. If you have further questions or observations, please contact me and I will do all I can to assist you. If this has helped or blessed you, share it with a friend. That is what the disciples did when Jesus called them and now look at the influences of the gospel in our world. God bless the hearing and application of his word. Holy Spirit, empower us to live and share what you teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.